You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy. Errol Marks and my co-host, Speeder the Peter. Yes, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speeder, what's up, man? Looking forward to some Halloween. Hope everyone out there has a happy and safe Halloween this upcoming Monday, this upcoming weekend, if you're celebrating Spooky Spooky. Hope you had a good time as well as the uh, Ranger Islander games. Yes, I was. As the Islander. Shut out the Big Bad Rangers. Big Blue is now Pew. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to New York Post feature reporter Alex Mitchell. We'll talk a little Giants. We'll talk a little Islanders. Alex is a great writer for the New York Post, and he is very excited to join us. So if you like his stories in the New York Post, well, you better check out this interview. We will get into some MLB conversation as the Giants rumored to be favorite to land Aaron Judge. Judge and the Yankee players believe the fans booing created toxic environment. Astros versus the Phillies in the World Series. I was the only one that picked the Philadelphia Phillies to win the whole damn thing. And they're on their way. Up one nothing against the Big Bad Strohs. Moneyline Mania with Paolo and Chaz. Paolo, our friend from Greece, one of the better betters and handicappers around the country. Chazzy Moto, who's a little bit sick, but going to be joining us. Knicks and Nets. We will give our impressions of the early season with both teams as the New York Knicks are just kicking butt with their new point guard and the Brooklyn Nets are just throwing up all over their team. But why don't we get into some football? We got the Jets in New England this weekend. I'm sure all the Jet fans are excited because it's payback time for Billy Bell. Bill Belichick is coming to MetLife Stadium. Over the last five years, the Jets just can't buy a win against this team. It's going to change this week, baby. As the Jets going into the game 5-2, and two, the New England Patriots 3-4, and four. get ready for war, baby. The New York Jets lose Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker for the season. Elijah, a tricep tear. Brees Hall, a torn ACL and a little bit of tear in his meniscus. He will be out for the season as well. It's really sad because I believe he was on his way to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. This guy was becoming a star right in front of our eyes, and he is not down and out on anything that happened to him. He believes he'll be back to normal, so if you're a Jet fan, you just pray that this kid is going to be back to what he was before this injury happened, so I believe he will. We've seen Adrian Peterson come back from an injury like this. We've seen Saquon Barkley come back from an injury like this, so why can't Brees Hall, a beast of a man? But after that, the Jets were bringing up Bam Knight, but after that, the New York Jets make a trade with Jacksonville to land James Robinson and give up a sixth-round draft pick, possibly could turn into a fifth-round draft pick, depending on the numbers and if the Jets make the playoffs. To get James Robinson... For as good as a fifth-round draft pick, the first three games, he was the leading rusher in the NFL. And then all of a sudden, Travis Etienne takes over the number one spot. They decide to bench Robinson, barely play him on any of the snaps. I don't know why Peterson was doing that. 
But you see what James Robinson is. He's a man-child. He's a beast. He is not as good as Brees Hall. He's not as explosive as Brees Hall, but he is a pounder. And that's what the Jets need. Michael Carter is not a pounder. He's a guy that you can use inside, but he's better on the outside. Brees Hall could do everything. So can James Robinson. And you have control of James Robinson next year. So you will have possibly a three-headed monster next year. Next year was the year I said the Jets are going to be the explosive team, a contender. James Robinson, Brees Hall, and Michael Carter in that backfield. James Robinson has brings a different skill set than both of them, too. Brees Hall's as complete of a runner as you can get. James Robinson's a good one-cut runner, especially outside. Especially now the Jaguars are using a little more inside because of ETN, but he's still capable of running outside. You saw it in his rookie year when he was one of the breakthrough undrafted rookies. And then Michael Carter brings a finesse game, good agility, good pass-catching back, too. And James Robinson could be a pass-catching back as well. He is under control next year as well. That'll be part of that three-headed monster if they are end up being healthy. As far as Elijah Vera Tucker, I think that one's going to be a little tougher to replace because there's not a lot of linemen like him, not only on the Jets, but also in the NFL, too. There's not a lot of tackles or guards that can move around and be as versatile as him. He's played four positions this year, as it is, and especially in a zone-blocking scheme that Mike LaFleur likes to bring, carried over from the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan's type offense. There's a lot of motion. There's a lot of exotic type of blocking, and Elijah Vera Tucker was playing at an all-pro level. That kind of thing is not going to be able to be replaced right away, so they're going to have to make some adjustments. They have the talent. They have the depth to be able to make it work to some extent, but that might have to change the scheme up a little bit the way they run. Maybe adjust it more to what James Robinson likes to do as a runner in comparison to Brees Hall. You have George Font coming back. Max Mitchell was right around the corner as well, so you have depth. And I believe Joe Douglas is looking. The trade deadline is this week. Don't be surprised if he goes after Conklin from the Browns, who could be out of the playoffs right now. You'll have to take on a contract, but also Lermie Tunsils is another guy that everybody keeps talking about. But I don't know if Tunsil is a guy that the Jets want to bring in because they have to take that contract on and they're looking to re-sign Quinn Williams. He is going to be expecting a big contract. He is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL right now. He's been a dominant force ever since the Bengals game. Yelling at the defensive linemen, yelling at Ubrick, and now finally saying they don't need a blitz package. They need four guys rushing up the middle. He is proving it right now that he is a man-child right now and nobody can stop him. No offensive line can stop this guy right now and it's been absolutely amazing. This is what you wanted to see. The Jets drafted this guy three years ago as the third pick in the draft. He fell to the Jets when everybody thought he was possibly the best player in the draft. We've seen this before. Leonard Williams, who everybody thought was the number one pick, he fell to the Jets at six. He really has been a bust. Quinn Williams, he has been really good, but the problem with the Jets over the last couple of years, they had no edge rushers. So what teams were doing, they were clogging up the middle. They know Quinn Williams is a man-child, so they had three guys or two guys clogging up the middle. Now they can't do it anymore because everybody else is playing well up front. They're causing havoc in the middle of the field. And what does that leave for Quinn Williams? A beast of a man clogging up the middle and running through everybody. And you're seeing the greatness of what this kid could be. Everybody was talking about comparing him to Aaron Donald. I don't know if he's Aaron Donald. We have to see year in and year out of dominance before we call him Aaron Donald. But if he's anywhere close to Aaron Donald, and this guy can get 11 sacks every single year in the middle as a nose tackle, defensive tackle, you're not even putting him on the edge like Aaron Donald is. This guy is going to be a beast. This guy's going to be the best defensive lineman in the league in the next two or three years. Yeah, there's not many linemen that have the quickness on the interior like Quinton Williams does. Aaron Donald, obviously, Chris Jones, and Grady Jarrett, but beyond that, there's not much 4-3 defensive tackles with that kind of speed, agility, and quickness, too, and that was a big reason why he was rumored so high in that draft. I had him at the time as the second best player after Nick Bosa overall. One of the more complete defensive tackle prospects you'll see, and now you're finally seeing it in full throttle, and the difference between him and Leonard 
Williams when Leonard Williams was drafted by the Jets is Quentin Williams at least has an injury excuse. Leonard Williams, he was good his rookie year and never really developed after that, and he wasn't really hurt that He much. also had Sheldon Richardson. He also yeah. had Mohamed Wilkerson on that line. I know everybody keeps talking about the Jets line, and Rankins is a good player, and Carl Lawson, they're all good players. Nowhere close to this guy. Quentin Williams is showing everybody on why he's going to get paid in the offseason. He is going to make $100 million. The Jets are going to pay him. He is worth that money, and he is the centerpiece of what this defensive line could be for the future. He's only 24 years old. He's a kid. He's only going to get better. And with the secondary that the Jets have, how is the Patriots going to be able to throw against the secondary? Who do they have? Parker? There's nobody. Jacoby Myers? DJ Reed is going to take out Jacoby Myers. And what do you think Gardner's going to do? He's going to take out Parker. Parker's nowhere close to Jamar Chase. He shut down Sutton last week. And Sutton's been one of the better wide receivers in the league, even though Russell Wilson can't throw to anybody else. Gardner was Defensive Player of the Week again. What you're seeing with the New York Jets is this defense is developing, and they're becoming the dominant force that everybody thought that Robert Sala's defense should look like. Remember in San Francisco with Warner and Bosa? Now the Jets have something like that. Look at the linebackers that the Jets have. C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, uh, Quentin Williams' brother, who's the faster of the two guys that can defend multiple positions. And then you have your front seven and Rankins and Sean Franklin Myers, Carl Lawson, and now Jermaine Johnson coming back. The depth that the Jets have now, it's just ridiculous. Now, do they have a pass rusher? I don't know if they have the distinct pass rusher that a lot of teams have. They might be looking for that in the offseason, in the draft. It's incredible what this defense has transitioned to. In the beginning of the year, they couldn't do anything right. Now, after the third game in the Bengals, a light switch. Quinton Williams went crazy on the sidelines. This team is completely different. This defense is completely different. They believe. And that is what scares me for the New England Patriots. They are going to close line that New England Patriots offensive line. Because Chicago went into New England, put up a 20-something spot against that defense where everybody said, oh, the Patriots are top five defense this year. Justin Fields and no wide receivers went into New England and beat New England. Absolutely embarrassing. I have it as an ugly game. I don't think the Jets or Patriots are really going to prove much in this game. I, I don't think the Patriots are that good anyway. It's just one of those like tricky situations like the Jets are trying to have to rearrange their offensive line all at once. Bill Belichick is a guy that will always decoy away from your top player. And all the time with wide receivers but I also with defense. We see a lot of top pass rushers outside of Von Miller. Look at Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Like They decoyed him like crazy and the Rams couldn't really do anything. J.J. Watt throughout his career against the Patriots always had trouble. I think the Patriots will be able to decoy somebody like that. Whether it's Lawson, whether it's Willie I also think Ramondre Stevenson's playing really well right now. Watch out for a guy like Hunter Henry, too. That's going to be a tough matchup for these safeties that have had their issues so far. LaMarcus Joyner in man coverage last week was horrible. He had the interception because ripping through right at him, but still, he did not look good. So expect Bill Belichick to try to be able to expose those matchups. The Jets' defense, I think, will be fantastic, though, in this game. And you mentioned it with Robert Sala. Really has changed it. And you compare it to the 49ers. The 49ers' defense in 2019 had the better front seven. The Jets' defense has a much better secondary than that San Francisco team. They have one of the best secondary in all of football, if not the best. Gardner and Reed, two guys that are going to be Pro Bowl players this yep. year. Dual threat. Both of them have only given up one touchdown in all of the season. I know Gardner has a lot to prove, and he wants to prove it. He doesn't shut up on the field, so expect another Jalen Ramsey, a guy that likes to speak. Gardner likes to speak, and when you can do it the way he can do it and Ramsey can do it, then you have every right to speak. So. As crazy as it sounds, he's outplayed Ramsey this year. Oh, he's better. <laughs> Give it two years. 
everybody's going to be talking about Garner as the best corner in all of football. It's not even going to be close. How many corners in the league are six foot three? can run as fast as Garner can, has the length? He can defend smaller guys. He can defend bigger guys. And he's just as fast as any small guy as much as he's as fast as any big guy. He can jump. He has tremendous hands, too. So he is the full package. And he is going to go down as the best player in that draft. He is going to be Darrell Rivas-esque. He might even be better than Darrell Rivas in the long run. Darrell Rivas, some people say, is the second best corner of all time. Right behind Deion Sanders. Could you imagine this kid go out and prove everybody completely wrong about what he did in Cincinnati because everybody said it was a fluke. He was in a bad division. Who did he play? He just shut down Williams, the star wide receiver over there in Alabama in the final four game. And you saw what he is capable of doing. And now you're seeing it in the NFL against the best players in the league at their position. Go ask Jamar Chase how many points he scored against the New York Jets and ask him how many yards he had in that game. Because I can tell you. And you know who was defending him practically the whole game. And this kid's a real deal. Now Jamar Chase has a hip problem. Wham, wham, wham. I don't want to hear Oh, Zach Taylor's going to have to actually coach. Yeah, that's not saying much. He's got a good quarterback, so they'll win just because of the quarterback play. But besides that, there is nothing to brag about with the Bengals. I think the Bengals are so open to lose every single week. And they're a has-been team from last year. I I don't think they're the same team they were last year. Their kicker is not the same. Their quarterback's not the same. Their defense isn't the same. Their offense of line, which was supposed to be better, is even worse. Mr. Zach Attack, he's been horrible this year as a head coach for what he did in the playoffs last year. And by the way, they were so lucky last year against the Las Vegas Raiders. When we come back, we'll get into some Giants conversation and our free three-for-all picks of the week here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. The New York Giants. The 6-in-1. New York Giants. Who would have thought that the New York Giants going into week eight would be six and one and could have been seven and oh if they came back in the fourth quarter and actually had the lead in the fourth quarter against the Cowboys. It's unbelievable. You have to give a shout out to Dable, who I think is coach of the year. If the season were to end, he's by far, he's been unbelievable, fantastic. I'm very excited to see what the Giants could put up this week. They're playing a good Seattle team. They have two really good offensive linemen ever since they traded Russell Wilson. Those two linemen that came out of that trade. Look at the, what those two guys turned out to be. Russell Wilson was complaining about the tackle position for years. Aww. Why don't you put an offensive tackle in front of me that could block? They traded him and they got two of them. Two of those guys could absolutely be pro bowlers this year for the Seattle Seahawks. It's unbelievable. Geno Smith is staying on his feet. He's playing great football. Now DK Metcalf could be out a couple of weeks. Thank God he didn't tear anything. Tyler Lockett's coming back. Walker has been absolutely fantastic. So the Giants are going to have to find a way to stop him, which they've had problems against running games this year. The Giants going into Seattle and being Seattle in Seattle, very hard place to play. Absolutely, and I think that's the toughest matchup when you look, especially the outside run defense. The Giants have had a lot of trouble this year, even against guys that are older running backs or not as good of running backs that don't have that kind of cutback ability, and Kenneth Walker has really shown a very complete running style, and Kenneth Walker has also done it, too, against a lot of good run defenses, too. You look at the Saints, who've been a consistently top-five run defense. They're a little down this year, but had a big game against them. Yeah, the Charters aren't a great run defense, but Kenneth Walker has been really carrying that 
offensive load, even comparison to the receivers. Now, Geno Smith played well. Tyler Lockett's on one week, off the next, and same thing with Metcalf. And the Giants are going to have to try to wait at least to contain it where they don't have the same kind of efficiency on the outside. And that'll be a big test for Wink Martindale. Maybe he has to do some more overload blitzes, have two guys rushing on the same side, and kind of guess at this point, because Kenneth Walker and those tackles are really just dominating. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas have both been fantastic. Russell Wilson, you're complaining about getting some tackles. Maybe he's training for the high knees for him to play offensive line at this rate. It's unbelievable <laughs> what this offensive line is doing for Seattle. Seattle's weakness all those years was their offensive line. Now it's one of their strengths. Who would have thought that? And now with two dominant tackles, you can run the ball. You can run it behind Cross, who, by the way, was a guy that was very good at stopping the pass rush, but not a running tackle. He has become more of a full-fledged running tackle. It's been really fun to watch the development of Charles Cross. Their offensive line is ranked in the top 10. And Russell Wilson sitting behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. Fast. And yet it's still better than a lot of the ones he had in Seattle, so I don't even know why he's complaining. But he's a complainer. Trying to wake his teammates up by doing workouts. Russell Wilson needs to worry about his game on the field, not the game off the field. Don't worry, he might lose his coach soon. The New York Giants made a trade the other day, trading away Kadarius Tony to the Chiefs for a third round and a sixth round pick. This guy, first round draft pick for a Gettleman. He couldn't stay healthy for the last two years. I think Dable just quit on him. That's why they drafted Wondell Robinson and there's a different type of player that they're looking for. I don't believe Kadarius Tony is the guy. Now, he goes with the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, he has another weapon. I believe this guy, Kadarius Tony, is going to be a star over there. But the Giants think that they can move forward with what they have. And if it ain't broke... Don't fix it. It's been fantastic watching Dable coach this team. It's just a great transition of what this team is and what this team could be by the end of the season. Now, do I think the Giants are going to be 16-1 and this year? No, I no. don't. I think the Giants will go on a losing streak, but it's unbelievable what they're doing right now. Really, what Dable is doing as a head coach with no weapons on the wide receiving end. Don't tell me Robinson is a guy that you would want on your team because he's more like a third guy. Shepard's out for the season. Bellinger, out oh. four to six weeks. Daniel Jones, I told the Giant fans never to quit on this guy, and he is finding a ways to win in the fourth quarter. He's the only player right now that's come back in the second half in almost every single one of his games. It's miraculous. And this could change everything. This could change the thoughts of who he is as a quarterback for the fans, and Daniel Jones getting his new contract. I'll give him his fifth year extension, but right. Dable is the quarterback whisperer. If there's a guy that can fix Daniel Jones, it's him. He fixed Josh Allen. He understands the quarterback position so very well. I think Daniel Jones has been unbelievable. Any Giant fan not happy with Daniel Jones, then shame on you. Daniel Jones, here's a fun fact. Daniel Jones tied with Brees Hall for the most 10-yard runs in the league this season. I think he's only trailing Nick Chubb, Saquon, and Lamar Jackson. Like, that's how good he's run the ball very well. He's also been throwing the ball efficiently, too. Turnover ratio was a big problem for Daniel Jones last year. Progressively, throughout the season, it's gone down in every game where he's being very accurate, efficient, not turning the ball over, and making the use of this god-awful receiving core. Darius Slayton's probably their leading receiver the last three weeks. Worst wide receiving core in all of the NFL. Kadarius Tony gets traded as well, who wasn't even being used. Kenny Galladay still being stashed on the bench, robbing us of $23 million and being the highest paid receiver in the league this year. And Daniel Jones is just winning. Five fourth quarter drives so far. They've been gritty. Yes, they haven't dominated any game yet this season. They're the first team 6-1 and one with all one possession wins so far this year, but it just shows the grit that Daniel Jones You know has. where the Giants are going yeah. in the draft. They're going to be looking for wide receivers, and they have a first-round draft pick of their own. They don't have two first-round draft picks. Flopped 
First round draft picks the year that the Bears traded up for Justin Fields. And then last year they had the Bears. They added Evan Neal. And Evan Neal's been fantastic for them. But he's hurting out too. So that'll be another obstacle for Daniel Jones to have to overcome. I think they'll figure it out. Right now their schedule is very easy. Seattle's probably the hardest team they have to play in the next two weeks. If they win this game, they could be 8-1 and going into their bye week. It's absolutely remarkable. As far as the Tony trade itself, I actually think they ended up getting pretty good value in that too, considering how little he's played this year. I agree with you. He's going to blossom in Kansas City more than you ever saw him do with the Giants because Andy Reid will make that kind of thing work. That's a perfect guy for their system, too. He can run the ball. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to say he's going to be a star, but he's going to be a good receiver there, I think. He's still flawed in some areas as a wide receiver, but he'll definitely be triple, quadruple the amount of whatever he was with the Giants. But I think the Giants, considering the injury circumstances, him running his mouth the way he did and just his inconsistency, a third and a six is not bad value He's another Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill opened up his mouth. He's still running his mouth in Miami. He might run it out of Miami very soon, just like Brandon Marshall. I do believe Tony, he's a guy that has a big mouth. We know what the Giants did to Odell Beckham. They parted ways with him because he couldn't shut up. And now Kadarius Tony, who didn't shut up really for the last two years. And what did he have? Three really good games and yeah, then he couldn't stay Yeah, healthy. two good games last year. The Cowboys game and the Saints. He can't stay healthy. So that's the secret. The Giants have a good chance to really shut people up. And in that division, you have three teams that could make the playoffs in the whole NFC. You have the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Eagles. I can honestly see three street teams have better records than any of the teams that win their divisions. Yeah, definitely whoever wins the NFC South. I don't know about the NFC West. I still think San Francisco will end up being better than the Giants and the Cowboys. That's why this is such an important game for the Rams in San Francisco. One team is 3-4, and the other team is 3-3. and It's such a very important game for the Rams because they want to make the playoffs in San Francisco. If they lose this game, they're 3-5, and and they're playing Chase again, and they don't want to play Chase when you have the Cowboys pulling away, you have the Giants pulling away. Seattle. (laughs) Seattle pulling away. It's it's crazy. And Arizona is getting hot. Hopkins gave him a little pizzazz last week. Hopkins, 10 catches, 100 and some odd yards. Hopkins was the elite wide receiver in the league for the last five years before he got caught with steroids. I still believe that he is elite. Top five wide receiver. And you could see the difference of that offense when he's in the game. They're going to be scary now that Kyler Murray has a player to throw to. Are you ready for the three-for-all picks of the week, Speed? Yeah, let's do it. Alright, let's go to that aforementioned Arizona-Minnesota game as our first one. The over-under for this one is 49. Yeah, I'm going to take the Vikings here. I think it's going to be a close game. Arizona, I definitely will move the ball down the field. I agree with you. I think Hopkins will have a big game in this one. Another 100-yard game. The Vikings' outside corners have really had issues so far this year. Patrick Peterson, kind of a revenge game for him, but definitely looks old. And Cam Dantzler was more of a Zimmer pick, and he definitely doesn't look like great outside. They need to trade for something at the trade deadline. But the problem is Arizona's had too many issues in the red zone. I think that'll end up costing them. I think they'll end up setting them for field goals. No James Conner in this game. Eno Benjamin did run well last week against the Saints, but Minnesota's been very well stopping the run this year and rushing the passer. So I'm going to take the Vikings, and I definitely will take them on the over. I see a lot of yards in this game. I got Minnesota, too. Who's going to stop Justin Jefferson? I don't think there's anybody on Arizona that could do that. Their safety play was supposed to be good. Haven't really done anything this year, especially in the middle of the field. I just think that Minnesota's better. I think they have a better offense. I think they have better weapons, and I think Kirk Cousins in this particular game will outplay Kyler Murray. Not in fantasy, but in the regular game. So, give me the Minnesota Vikings!
on the over. All right, next game, the Green Bay Packers at the Buffalo Bills. The over-under for this one is 47. This one is a very tight spread. I think Buffalo is going to cover the big, massive spread that they had. The first time Aaron Rodgers is a double-digit underdog in his career. The question is, are the Packers going to be able to cover that kind of thing? I'm definitely taking Buffalo in this game. The Packers' defense has been, along with the Saints, the most underwhelming in the league so far this year. I even think David Singletary will run the ball nicely in this game as well. And that Bills' defense against that no-weapons Packers offense, I think it'll be hard. I'm going to go with the over here, but I think it's going to be close. I'll take Buffalo on the over. Oh, I've got Buffalo too. It's going to be a fun game. Green Bay will put up the points. Aaron Rodgers will try to show everybody off, but in the long run, I've got the Buffalo Bills on the over. All right, last game, the aforementioned San Francisco 49ers at the LA Rams. 42, the over under Debo Samuel out. I'm going to take the 49ers, though, still anyway. I think Debo Samuel definitely would have been a nice piece, but I do think the Rams' secondary depth outside of Ramsey has still been really bad this year. They lost Darius Williams in the offseason to the Jaguars, and that's really improving to be indicative. The run defense has been pretty good, but I think Christian McCaffrey still has a good game receiving-wise. The 49ers' pass rush against that Rams' offensive line that's been abysmal will get theirs. Cooper Cup will have a nice game. I don't trust anything else. I'm going to take San Francisco. Close game on the under. I've got the Rammies, baby. I think the Rams at home, they need this game just as bad as San Francisco does. Being that they're home, I think this will be the game that's going to transform the offense of the Rams against a very good defense. And they shut down Jimmy G. Christian McCaffrey will have his licks, but it won't be enough. I've got the Rams on the under. When we come back, we'll be talking to New York Post features reporter Alex Mitchell here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder, Wants a Peter, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. I hope everybody enjoyed the Islander game. We are live here and in color at MacArthur Airport. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guests. We are now talking to New York Post Features reporter Alex Mitchell. Alex, what's up, bud? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Really happy to be here. Really thrilled to be on the show. We're really happy. We've some news with the Yankees. Mm. Very great news with the Giants. Islanders shut out the Rangers. So, ah, um, yes. I was at the Islander and Ranger game. Wonderful. I was in a beautiful seat in the Diamond area. I was eating free food. It was beautiful. And I got a chance to watch Sorokin shut down the New York Rangers. <laughs> I loved it. Yes, oh. all the crowd screaming. And the Ranger friends <laughs> drinking beer when they left. And there was no fighting. You know why? Because the Rangers had nothing to fight about because they got shut out. <laughs> it was great. It was fun. And by the way, the person that I went with, the beef, we call him, he was crying. I'm surprised he didn't jump off a ledge and kill himself. The Rangers played great. They outplayed the Islanders in that game. It was just because of the great Sorokin on why they won that game. We are talking to New York Post feature reporter Alex Mitchell. So why don't we get into your thoughts this offseason? Where do the Yankees go? Do they let go of Judge? Do they let him go to San Francisco? Does Brian Cashman come back? Because we know Hal said Aaron 
Aaron Boone will be back. So where do the Yankees go this offseason? That is a million-dollar question, or perhaps a couple of million, probably several hundred million dollars for Aaron Judge. I believe Cashman's quoted saying that Judge has a pot of gold waiting for him this offseason. I think it's a bring-back-at-all-cost move. Now, whether or not Judge wants to, maybe he does want to go out to California. He was born and raised there. He's married. Maybe that's where he wants to raise his family, closer to home, closer to where he grew up. And that's what Wayne Gretzky did when he left Edmonton. Nobody thought he would ever leave Canada for sunny Southern California. You know, maybe Judge goes to Northern Cal, but it's very possible. But on the other hand, you're never going to have an experience outside of New York playing somewhere like the Giants or the Dodgers. There was some speculation about the Dodgers. And I think every single day you're going to see speculation about every single team thinks that Judge is coming to him. The Mets are convinced that Judge is coming, or at least a bunch of the fans on Twitter were after they were licking their wounds after that brutal wild card. Petey, my condolences. I don't think he's going to the Mets. That's what always happens. He's always coming to your team until he isn't. Back when I covered the Yankees, different beat now features, still get to do some baseball. Interviewed David Cohn around this time last year. Talked about food, but he also told me that George Steinbrenner put him in a headlock once. That was a fun interview. I think that there is still a large incentive for Judge to want to stay in New York. He will be the king here until the day he retires and then some more. I think that he brings a romance to baseball that's kind of been non-existent ever since probably before the cheating scandal with the Astros. <laughs> but no, th- there hasn't been that sort of feel or, or passion for the game. Like, do you remember watching games that weren't playoff contingent mm-hmm. with such fervor in the past 10 or something years? I didn't go to a lot of games after I took my new job and I stopped covering the team for many reasons, obviously busier, but it was emotional for me to get back in the stadium. But once Judge hit that chase for 60 and then 61, finally 62, I had to get tickets in the bleachers. I had to be in home run alley. You had to see this. There's almost an innocence that he brings to the game where whether you're 50, whether you're 20 year old, just going in the bleachers or you're a dad taking your kid. You just want to see this guy play. I was sitting in 106 one night where, ironically enough, Alex Verdugo, number 99 on the Red Sox, hit a home run to our section instead, of course. <laughs> but Judge comes out. He wasn't playing right field until the seventh inning, and then he comes out, he jogs out, and he gets a standing ovation just for being who he is. I think that that's something important, not just for the morale of fans, but that's got to be good for the locker room, I imagine. That's got to be good to have someone that an entire city rallies around. And a lot is not known about his private life. He conducts himself like a class act. 30, 40 home runs a season. Maybe that 62 is going to be broken one day. I'd like to see it broken in the Bronx. Market value with Aaron Judge. Projected to start at eight years, $320 million. Do you think it'll get higher, especially if teams like the Red Sox go into it? They're going to want to steal it from the Yankees, the Giants obviously being the favorites. What do you think will end up ultimately being the market value for him? It would probably be maybe shorter than an eight-year contract, but probably higher than that many million. He is not just an asset to the team. He's an attraction to the city wherever Mm -hmm. he goes. People will come out. And I, I saw this in September. Tourists were going to those Yankee games just to have a chance to see Judge play. People from England, Ireland, Europe who knew nothing about the game. It's the same effect seeing Leo Messi play soccer. Maybe it wouldn't be the same outside of New York. But at least here there is that phenomenon where he is, there are the Yankees and then there's Aaron Judge. And you have him almost as a separate entity in a very exciting way. We are talking to New York Post feature reporter Alex Mitchell. Let's get on to the Giants because the Giants are playing great football. I could see why the Giants brought Dable in and why the players are thriving to his game and what he's all about as a head coach. Reminds me of a young Tom Coughlin. He really has the energy, personality when he talks to the press. He's got that pizzazz about him, which I really love. Judge was boring, likes to point fingers type of head coach. 
huge. This guy, he doesn't want to point fingers. He's funny. Pretty good look. Wears his Jordan sneakers when he's out on practice fields. There's just something about him that really shines. What have you seen when you have been around the Giants? What have you seen that really shines and really sticks out about him? He's like a Tom Coughlin Jr. For fans, I think for anyone who's followed the Giants, that's a major plus. I put myself in that category too. I still stamp my feet thinking about how the Giants let Coughlin go. I did not think that that was the right protocol. I did not think it was the way to go about him leaving still irks me to this day. And I think it still irks Eli Manning to this day. Mm-hmm. But like you said about Dable, he takes accountability. That's something you haven't really seen with Shermer, McAdoo, Judge, bringing in a new regime in a way that's familiar to the past, but not just familiar to the past, familiar to the past ways of winning. Coughlin won two Super Bowls with Eli Manning. Dable can easily do that with Daniel Jones, I think. And I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine about this, and it's amazing how quickly the Giants can change with the right leadership. I know you've seen all the memes about the Giants have been 3-82 and since the Miami boat trip. That was such a stain on where the franchise was going. It it felt like they didn't have the proper leadership. It felt like they didn't have the right direction. And now that's all but forgotten. I can't remember the last time I've been so excited about Giants football. The last two seasons, and it takes a lot for me to even change a channel during the commercial break of a game. (laughs) I didn't want to watch the Giants because it was just making me sad. It was making me upset. I knew Things were just not going to pan out. Whether it's Daniel Jones getting tackled by the field. This year, they're rocking. They're rolling. They got the running game right between Barkley and now Daniel Jones is a running threat. It's incredible to see. Sky's the limit. Just win, baby, win. That's how I'm feeling about the Giants. (laughs) I think Daniel Jones, the whole Philadelphia tripping on a self incident, is still a little bit of carried over from the Giants voodoo in that stadium because I don't think they've won there since like 2013. Chip Kelly's first year. It was like a 15 to 7 game. That's like the Buffalo Wild Wings commercial when the sprinkler comes up. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. The Kadarius Tony trade, they got a third compensation pick, pick that the Chiefs got for Tyreek Hill when they let him go, and the sixth round pick for Kadarius Tony. What did you think of that move? I don't mind it. I kind of feel like Dable's going to find a way to make anything work. A lot of speculation now that the Giants may be going after Jerry Judy because of this, and I think that would be huge. But even if it doesn't, I don't remember the last time I had this much faith in what the Giants are doing. Maybe some of it was luck, but not all of it. They are proving to themselves that they're a legitimate contender. Just roll with it. Whatever's going on, it's working. Just keep at it. I don't think that this trade's going to come back to haunt them yet. I didn't like the trade. I think Kadarius is a good player. I watched him play in college in Florida. I really think think they should have waited and see what he is with that offense when he was 100% healthy. Maybe they do bring in Jerry Judy and maybe Jerry Judy works and the Giant fans will have something to cheer about, but maybe Odell Beckham is coming back. DJ Moore is another name that's been linked. As everybody knows, we are talking to New York Post featured reporter Alex Mitchell. A couple days left until the trade deadline. Do you see the Giants making a significant move that can help this team move forward? They are a playoff team. The NFC is weak. I believe the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles make the playoffs this year. That's how big the NFC is. What are your thoughts? I think other than the potential move for Jerry Judy, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. Plain and simple. You got something working. You may not know exactly how it's working, but just <laughs> enjoy the merits of what's coming and just keep stringing together wins. Beat the Cowboys this year on the road. I think we might see three teams from the NFC East back in the playoffs. And that would stress me out because, you know, you look at the Giants' only loss, it's to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to think about. It's exciting. I mean, you go back to the 2007 Super Bowl, beating them on the road in the divisional round, or even to 2011 when it was win to get in on New Year's Day. And the- 
Cowboys, I think they're a fairly good team. I think Dak Prescott makes them a little bit better. Zeke's playing decent football right now. And C.D. Lamb, if he stays healthy, they need to add another wide receiver. By the way, Thibodeau has looked really, really good. He's definitely been better every single week. He's maturing as a pass rusher, which is something to be excited for. When the Giants were dominant in the 80s, the early 90s, when they were dominant, and they won those Super Bowls. And then even in the mid-2000s, 2007, 2011, what they won with. Two good tackles and a good offensive line. Great pass rushers and Strahan and Osea Mignor and Justin, Justin Tuck. Tuck. I Chris mean, Canty, yes. the list goes on. Yes. <laughs> this is what the Giants need to do. They need to build the trenches. I know you can win with Dable. I've always liked Daniel Jones when they drafted him. Not only do I think he's good, much better, much faster outside the pocket than Josh Allen. I don't think he has the arm strength as Josh Allen, but he's more accurate than people think. And I think he's fun to watch. Even though he fell on his own legs last year, which I couldn't stop laughing about, and it was like a meme for a very long time, I think the kid's the real deal. What are your thoughts? Couldn't agree more. I really think that he is. And everyone was saying he's like Eli Manning. Well, that includes everyone hating him at the beginning and probably probably throughout his career. But in between, he's going to have those golden moments where maybe he's got a Super Bowl run in him. Maybe he's got to. I think that he was the right type of guy for this offense. And I think now that there's been that foundation on the offensive line, you're getting back to in the 80s, the 90s, and even with Brandon Jacobs in the 2000s, smash mouth football is Giants identity. And now with Saquon Barkley really getting to run the ball, he's healthy. He has the right protection. That is so huge for the offense. And it gives Daniel Jones more flexibility where he's not dependent on every play. They know that they could pick up six or seven with Barkley. They don't need to go to Jones on every play. And then when they do, he just has more range. And you're seeing it now. You're seeing his ability to run. I don't think that that's a coincidence that once the Giants improve the running game, their quarterback is also more mobile. He's shown a huge initiative in leadership this season. He's young. He's new to the league. But now that he's kind of got his feet settled, he's proving why he was drafted by the New York football Giants. He's really bringing something a very exciting and creative dynamic to the team and and going back to like what you said about maybe Odell Beckham Jr. I don't think that there's a good mesh there. I think they're taking the franchise in one direction. I think bringing back someone like Beckham who he is a case. He has his off the field moments when he attempted to urinate (laughs) the end zone in Cleveland. I don't think you need that. I think that you've got the winning pieces and it proves. Raise your hand if you thought the Giants are going to be 6-1 and at this point in time. I don't think anyone. I had the Giants winning nine games this year. The schedule was so favorable for the New York Giants. I did believe that they're a lot better than people say they are. The only thing that worries me about them is if they make the playoffs, which they will, they don't have a predominant wide receiver that can make plays in the open field when need be. I don't think Slayton's the guy. We know Galladay isn't. Keep him away from the field as much as possible. I mean, I don't know what is out there on this roster that you could say, oh, I'm scared of this guy. Bellinger looks like he's a player. I was very surprised the turnout who he is. He's fantastic. He really is fun to watch. I'll give you that. There could be something in the receiving core where maybe an upgrade is coming hopefully before the trade deadline. And maybe, even though there's not that guy, that threat, whatever's going on is working. I'm a firm believer in if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that applies to my professional life. That applies to my love life. That applies to everything. And well, we're not going to get into your love life. Just like my girlfriend, I think the New York Giants are wonderful. I see that you're an Islander fan. Sorokin is the real deal. This kid is the future of this 
this organization. This is the guy that we're going to be riding on his back if we have any chance of winning a Stanley Cup. It has to be him. Not Falamov. Every single year, it seems like he plays the Rangers, and he always loses. Sorokin has played two games against the Rangers, and he's won both of them. And the Rangers have scored one goal in two games against Sorokin. That just tells you how much better he is than Volamov is against the Rangers. The Islanders have started off slow. It's still very early. There's a lot of people that don't think the Islanders are a playoff team. I thought they were out of their minds. This is one of the best defenses in the league. They have one of the best goaltenders in the league. Where do you see this team? They need offense. Lou made a big mistake not doing anything in the offseason, but he definitely gave Barzell what they needed to, but Barzell hasn't scored any goals because he doesn't have any weapons around him. What are your thoughts to the Islanders? A lot of people were very skeptical of the Islanders coming into this season, and I can understand why. The Barry Trotz move was a bombshell, and not in a good way. Not a knock on Lane Lambert. I think he's doing a fine job with the team and, and stepping into very big shoes to fill, not just in replacing Trotz, but hey, this is a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals two seasons in a row. Now we got to get back there right now. We've got our new gorgeous arena. We better have some games in May and June there. I see why people didn't think that this was going to be the year at first. But you look at the offense, it is starting to click. Yes, it's slow moving. Maybe Barzell is having a slow start, but I've got more confidence in the world than him. I think that he just knows when to show up in very clutch moments. He's still young. Think about where you are, 25. You make mistakes, but that doesn't mean you're not capable. And obviously, it's very, very different. You get paid millions of dollars, professional athlete. He's young. Give him a little breathing room because I can think of more than enough times where Matt Barzell has saved a game, saved a playoff series with his heroics. Also, about the offense, Kiefer Bellows going on waivers and being claimed by the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. I was a little taken back by that personally. You think about the forwards that they want to carry. Ross Johnston, who's an enforcer, and he's really been grinding and showing that he's more than a glorified goon, more than just that fighting it checking role, but he makes the team over Kiefer Bellows, who's someone that was drafted pretty high Mm -hmm. by the Islanders. Especially with Lou saying that one of the reasons for moving on from Trotz is to get a new voice in there, and you almost automatically translate that to, you're going to see more of the Islanders' young talent, like Oliver Wall. He played Volamov too much. Even when he came back from injury, he should have played Sorokin. I think that could be that there wasn't enough distribution on the goalie side. Sorokin is supposed to be the future of the franchise. He is supposed to be the positive version of Rick DiPietro, what we were supposed (laughs) to get in the oh mid-2000s, God. you could trace the Islanders' issues back to a lot mm-hmm. of things in a lot of years. One of the big ones is they never had that franchise goalie. And you look at the Rangers, they've always had it, whether it was Richter, whether it was Lundqvist. Now, Igor Shosturkin, they're, they're going Don't the forget about Van Beesbrook. Oh, yeah, John Van Beesbrook. Florida Panther back in the days when they made the playoffs and won more than one series. That's <laughs> why I'm not a Ranger fan anymore. I'm not a Ranger fan because the Rangers decided to part ways with him and keep Richter. And I think Van Beesbrook would have won that Stanley Cup if he played in 94. You're an Islanders converted fan. I was 11 years old. I was a Van Beesburg fan. I did all his training camps, and I was always a Beezer fan. I grew up worshipping him. When he was traded to Vancouver, and they had Kurt McLean there, they put him on waivers, and he was the number one choice in the expansion draft to the Florida Panthers. And I followed him to Florida, and he was with the Panthers for a while, 96, where he was just unstoppable. The gear of the rat, where they went to the Stanley Cup Finals and got yeah. swept by Colorado, but he was the reason why they were there. Went to Philadelphia for a little bit, and then he went to the Islanders. And when he went to the Islanders, he was there for a year and a half. I said, I'm going to stick with the Islanders. They stink, but I'm going to stick with the Islanders. Then he went to the Devils and he finished his career with the Devils. He's the only player in New York 
hockey history that play for every one of the tri-state teams. Get the trifecta, yeah. Yes. He told me that when I interviewed him at the draft in Dallas a couple of years ago. Nevertheless, the Islanders are in a position where I think they can make the playoffs. It's the defense and the goaltending. That's the stand forward, and you saw that against the Rangers. There were a lot of rumors with the offseason moves that they could have made and ended up not doing. Do you see something like that at the trade deadline still, or kind of the same approach as the Giants? If it's working, stick with it. Oh, no, the Islanders and Giants are very separate entities. <laughs> It was a very disappointing summer from the perspective of an Islanders fan. I remember I was on a train home from Manhattan when I found out that Johnny Gaudreau would not be coming to Nassau County or that Matthew Kachuk would not be coming to Nassau County. And the list goes on and on. This is a theme in my life I've heard many, many times. <laughs> Going back to the Barzell signing, it felt really good in the wake of all that to know you had some commitment. You had someone who was legitimately interested in carrying this franchise to just a new high, which I believe is totally achievable if not this season in the next couple do they need to do some things do they obviously need to look for upgrades on offense of course will this trade deadline pan out the hopeful person in me wants to say yes i know better <laughs> i wouldn't guarantee it i've been also thinking a lot about how they handled zidane charles mm-hmm. because at first i was a little excited about the move i like that it starts with the islanders ends with the islanders islanders also have a huge history of drafting these really really talented players who go elsewhere and have really successful careers but we don't have to <laughs> the dark days of mike Milburn. sometimes i know what you're um, talking about trust me i would say i became an Islander fan when I was 19 years old. Been almost 20 years. And they stink. In the times of Zygmunt Palfi and Pierre Turgeon. And by the way, Pierre Turgeon should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know what the hell the NHL is doing. Imagine how different 93 would be if he didn't get hurt. You hear the name Dale Hunter, mm-hmm. you can wince. Tom Wilson, in many ways, reminds me of that yeah. Dale Hunter-esque mm-hmm. role. And the fact that they both played for the Capitals is only doubly fitting. Even going back to the 2015 playoffs where he has that hit on Lubomir Viznowski. Viznowski announces his retirement not so long after. You look at those things and you would have hoped that the NHL might have done a little bit more in the enforcement category with how he does things. I have all these recessed memories of the <laughs> Islanders that just sometimes come to the surface. It's been a very difficult 20, 25 years, but there's been so many great moments of hope that it's like the Godfather, man. Like, just when you thought they were out, they pull you right back. <laughs> That's what the Islanders do. They start getting really good, and, and you have to even credit Garth Snow mm-hmm. for acquiring Johnny Boychuk mm-hmm. and Nick Letty, because that's where kind of the modern day started with that team, as far as the direction that they were going in, and the commitment that, like, we're not going to be the laughing stock of the National Hockey League anymore. And they proved it, and they just got better and better. And then finally, the arena woes, which have haunted them since the 1990s get resolved with the beautiful yes. UBS arena. It, it really is a phenomenal place. How many arenas can you get a bagel at? There's so much appreciation and input into what the fans want and that's just really cool. And even look at the goal siren that uh-huh. they tried to do on opening night uh-huh. which kind of sounded like the Ghostbusters car. I thought it was like <laughs> Halloween had bombed even though it was something back from the early days of the franchise but they made fun of themselves that they laughed it off and said we're not going to do this anymore. Sparky the Dragon's putting it in the trash compact I don't know too many franchises that have that kind of engagement with their fans where it feels personal. It's not like going to Yankee Stadium Mm -hmm. where you're just kind of in this cavern of just greatness. It feels like you're seeing like your neighborhood team. And I guess that's what back like when the Brooklyn Dodgers were a thing. I guess that's what it felt like to walk around Brooklyn and see guys like Jackie Robinson shopping at your store. And then you just go to a game that afternoon. You kind of get that vibe with the Islanders in a way. 
close tightness. And because I'm from Long Island, Massapequa, born and raised, Look shout out to you. all American. It feels a little more personal. I'm a Long Island native. Speedy is a Connecticut native. My family before Island. me was Long Island. Long Island. So I, yeah, I, everyone's I, from Long Island in somewhere or another. For, for yeah. wherever I go in my career, I always rep Long Island. I am a Long Island guy. I will always be here to rep everything that I do and everything that I am. I never forget where I'm from, my roots. But before we let you go, you're a food critic. You're also in the entertainment field. What do you do in the entertainment field? I do a lot of food reporting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a critic, and I get to taste a lot of good stuff. I'm sure um, you do. As far as entertainment, I've gotten to interview some cool people in the past. My most recent beat with that is finding very interesting, true stories that are coming to film, coming to documentary, and I try to find the real people in that and I get to talk to them and, and that's something really cool like Jerry and Marge go large the story about that Brian Cranston and uh, <laughs> Annette Benning they help a whole town scam the lottery and make money I got to talk to the actual Jerry Selvey and he he broke down what he did mm. and that was just awesome that was a really feel good story of senior citizen saying he was bored in his retirement he figured out a way to scam the lottery and make thousands for good people so I get to do a lot of cool stuff like that and it's awesome we really appreciate everything when it comes to the Giants and the Islanders and the Yankees and everything that you're doing for the the New York Post. I wanted to say this David Cohn food stuff. That was cool. That was a, a TV show that Yes Network oh, wow. was doing. It was Marcus Samuelson. He was the host. He would take former Yankees and other celebrities in the city. Like, there's a ton of buzz about the Sopranos at the time. So Steve Sharipa and Lorraine Bracco, they took him up to Arthur Avenue. The David Cohn episode, he took them to get some barbecue like he used to have around Kansas City. <laughs> and I got to talk to him about the food element. But of course, in speaking to David Cohn, we got to talk some baseball too. And he told me about a time where George Steinbrenner put him in a headlock during the 2000 World Series because he convinced him that the Mets were spying on the Yankees clubhouse at Shea Stadium and George was actually believing him for a while and when David let him know he was just messing with them boom he just puts him in like that so <laughs> David Cohn deserves a management job the Yankees before they interviewed Aaron Boone I said they're going to interview David Cohn I was very surprised he didn't get the job with the Yankees if Aaron Boone is gone I think the Yankees definitely have to reach out to David Cohn again and interview him again I think he'd be a great manager in baseball he He's a great baseball mind. He's definitely qualified. Alex, we will definitely have you on the show again. We just really appreciate all the time that you gave us. Of course. This was awesome. I'm happy to do it again. Hopefully I'll see you at UBS Arena sometime. Oh, you will. I'll be dancing when we raise that Stanley Cup. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And then Speedy's going to say, no, no. I love it when the Ranger fans crying up the river. When we were walking outside the arena, it was so quiet. The Ranger fans didn't say nothing. The Island fans are beeping their horn like crazy lunatics, I think is ridiculous but the ranger fans they were so quiet could you imagine if the rangers won that game you wouldn't have heard the end of it i was at an islander ranger game last season where the islanders were not so successful so yeah i did not hear the end of it it felt like they owned ubs that night i wish i could experience that all the ranger games i've ever gone to they've lost well you should go to more ranger games then I'll have to try a road game next time. Oh, in six lifetime at Madison Square Garden. Wow. That's <laughs> it's terrible. This is even going back to Bad my luck. first game I ever went to. I was in middle school, 2008. And they were playing against the Islanders when the Islanders were the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And they still couldn't win that narrow game. It down, but <laughs> and they lost in a shootout 4-3. to three. He's just bad luck for all his teams. No, the Mets actually have a better track record. What's your record? I don't know the all-time, but I got a lot more Mets games. I want to say five times, and I want to say 13 they've won. The only one they've lost recently at home that I've went to was in 2015. They gave away a bunch of fedoras. I could see you in a fedora. I remember the fedora year. Yeah, wow. that, it was that game. Oh, Bartolo Colon pitched against the Nationals, and a lot of Mets fans still wear those oh, to the games. God, please. 
Met fans. Hey, Mets got some really great promotions. I don't hate the Mets. I'm a Yankee fan. I will never wear a Mets jersey or a Mets hat, but I'll go to a Mets game. I love City Field. I think it's a beautiful stadium. Even as a Yankee fan, I think it's much nicer than Yankee Stadium. But Mets fans, every single year, no matter who's the manager or who the owner is, that they're going to win the World Series. Oh, we've got Scherzer. I said, watch. Scherzer's going to be, what, 39 years old? How long is he going to stay healthy? And what did he do? He couldn't stay healthy this year. It just seems like the Mets thing. They bring in players, and they can never stay healthy. And the same thing for the Yankees. They need to stop with this power-hitting crap. Find guys that can hit for average. Josh Donaldson, Kenny Galladay, and Semyon Varlamov are all could starting you, a con, stealing money from New York teams. Could you believe Geno Smith is actually a good quarterback? As a Jet fan, I just want to throw up. He goes to Seattle, plays behind Russell Wilson three years. He's the highest-paid backup quarterback. Russell Wilson goes on a horrible trade Broncos, to the Broncos. That's right. And Geno Smith becomes a star in Seattle. It couldn't be written better. I mean, the Broncos trade away their future for Russell Wilson, and he's a complete failure. That just makes me laugh. Alex, as a Giants fan, I'm sure you could appreciate this too. Nathaniel Hackett's about to loin ex-Packers coordinators that were terrible as head coaches somewhere else with Ben McAdoo and Joe Philbin. Against the Panthers, that felt like a nice little revenge game against Benny Boy. What I hold him most accountable for is how he handled Eli Manning and breaking that streak. That was oh just God, reprehensible. Man, Eli Manning is not an emotional guy. When you get him choked up, literally crying in front of reporters, you messed up. And the funny thing is he did it with Geno Smith. <laughs> and so many people Nobody. actually give him credit for that. You like, what? Brett Favre back in the day? It irks me. I was a believer in Eli Manning. I was young. I was middle school, high school age, a little bit of college. So perhaps it was some youthful ignorance, but it's kind of my same feeling about Daniel Jones. Maybe it's not the way people want to see, but it's a way that gets things done. You can win with those guys. And Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. So is Philip Rivers. And so is Ben Roethlisberger. That was a great draft. Tony Romo is not a Hall of Famer, but there are years that you could say he's Hall of Fame-esque. Great draft for quarterbacks. I think Romo had a little bit more in the playoffs. There'd be more discussion around him being in the Hall of Fame, but it was not a catch. He'll be in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster because he's the one that's bringing broadcasting to a whole nother level. Ask Tom Brady. Hey, Tony Romo revolutionized the game. Quarterbacks stop holding field goal kicks after his watch of the playoffs. <laughs> now the punters do it. Wrap that to the archives of the NFL. There you yep. go. Alex, thank you, man. We really appreciate you. Guys, take care. Have a great night. Thanks for having it's me a- on. The great Alex Mitchell. I loved it. Tons of great stories. Fantastic. I, the UBS Arena and the David Cohn story. He's uh, an Islander fan. Baby. Yeah, and the uh, yes. entertainment stuff, too. Very interesting stuff. When we come back, we'll get into some baseball. We'll get into the Philadelphia Phillies knocking off the Astri Astros. And we will get into the New York Yankees as they have a lot of problems this offseason. We don't know where Brian Cashman's going to be. We know that Aaron Boone's coming back as Hal speaks out. And we really don't know what's going to happen to the great Aaron Judge because it seems like he's going to San Francisco. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. There's a lot to talk about with the Yankees. And a lot to talk about our Philadelphia Phillies. Because why would any New York fan want to see the Astros, a cheating organization, win another championship and shut everybody up? We want to see the Philadelphia Phillies win. Bryce Harper, the baby boy, winning his curly-ass beard because he won the MVP last year. And why not win 
a championship coming back from an injury throughout this season. It's been fantastic. It's been something great to watch after going down 5 nothing against Justy Verlandi. Justin Verlander. I'm just so excited about Philadelphia. If you're a Philadelphia fan or if you're not a Philadelphia fan, I know a lot of Met fans don't want to root on Philadelphia. I understand that. Does the Met fans really want to see the Astros win? You want to see the Astros win? I like the underdog story for the Phillies. I'm not like passionately caring either way. There's two things I like with the Astros. Dusty Baker, I like the story for him if he can finally get a World Series. And Trey Mancini, considering all he had to go through going through the cancer treatments, would be good to see him get a ring too. The Phillies are a nice underdog story. The main reason isn't really because they're the Phillies that I wouldn't care. I just really don't want to see Noah Syndergaard win a ring after he ran his mouth all year. Noah Syndergaard and Zachy Wheeler. I don't even mind Zach Wheeler though, because Zach Wheeler got a lot better than he I'm with dragging the Phillies, my he ease the today. But Noah Syndergaard, it didn't seem like he was going to leave the organization on a sour note, and then he all of a sudden he just likes to take shots. All I season. like Zach Wheeler, and the money that he got from Philadelphia, the Mets should have signed him. Yeah, it seemed like a lot at the time. Now it's a bargain. <laughs> One year from now, he will be getting another extension, and I'm sure... If the Philadelphia Phillies don't pay him, there are quite a few teams that will pay him because this guy is a number one. He is an ace. Could you imagine him on that Mets team right now with Scherzer and DeGrom? How good that pitching staff would be. I'm very excited for Philadelphia. I want to see Philly win. I know the Philadelphia fans are not the best fans, but to watch this Astros team lose finally and you don't see Gurriel dancing around in the dugout and dancing with that floppy hair and he's so annoying. Altuve dancing around the base pads. I don't want to see that. I want to see Philadelphia. Philadelphia win this championship, and I could just laugh at all the fake Astro fans around here in New York who can't stand the Yankees and loved when they swept the Yankees. Now, let's get into the New York Yankees. I don't know what's going to happen to Aaron Judge. A lot of people think that the Yankees are going to do everything they can to keep Aaron Judge. I don't think the Yankees should overdo any contract with this guy. He is 31 years old. Yes, the last two years he's been healthy. When you extend him, that's when all the injuries start to happen. He is six foot seven, 280 pounds of muscle. This guy is an athletic beast. What happens two, three years down the road when his body starts to break down? You're going to pay this guy seven years, $49 million, and he's the highest paid player in the MLB? It doesn't make sense. If you're a Yankee fan, I understand why the Yankees want to bring Judge back with everything that he's done. Broke the 61 home run record, and now he has the record in the American League at 62. Almost won the batting title. He almost won the triple crown. That's great. He really carried the Yankees in August when they fell apart. One player doesn't win championships. It was proven this year. He couldn't hit in the playoffs. He's never hit in the playoffs. This guy is hit for average pretty much his whole career. You know what his career in the playoffs is? And he's played in quite a few playoffs. 211. That doesn't buy championships. The Yankees need to find guys that can hit for average in the playoffs against good pitching. They have to. Ben Attendee and DJ LeMayu, they lost them for the whole playoffs. That hurt them. The rotation played very well, but the bullpen, they had some weaknesses. They lost Michael King. They had the best bullpen in baseball before Michael King got hurt. As soon as Michael King got hurt, he was the seventh inning guy, sometimes eighth. He was a shutdown guy. I believe he's the closer of the future for the Yankees. I think Holmes is an eighth inning guy. And then have Loisica and Peralta, Chad Green, which they lost this year. I think the bullpen really hurt them this year. Now, when they get their pitchers back, I think it'll be good. And they'll add another pitcher in the offseason that'll fill in certain spots for them. But they're going to go at it again next year. And if they could stay healthy, which they didn't do this year, maybe they beat the Astros finally. It's hard when you see the Astros go to the World Series, and even if they lose, they swept the Yankees. When was the last time you've seen the Yankees get swept? Not in my lifetime. <laughs> and that just shows you where baseball is, but it's going to be different. It's going to be a different game next year. 
There is going to be new rules. There's one rule that I love, and I know you hate it. Why do you hate it? I always like growing up watching baseball because of strategy. It's one of the most intellectual games when it comes to lineups, defensive alignments, the combinations of scenarios that could happen. I always thought that if you should be able to adjust for anything, for pitching and hitting, you should be able to do it for defense, too. I love it for baseball because no shifting opens up the field, opens up more hits, more runs, more offense. Now you're going to have the big boppers like the Joey Gallows of the world that only hit in one area. You can't shift the ball anymore. So he's going to get more hits. He's going to hit for better average. Joey Gallo all-star season incoming. <laughs> I don't know about that, but Anthony Rizzo, another guy that doesn't hit for average. Right. Next year, I bet you he hits three points higher than he ever did. It will benefit some of these hitters. Could you imagine how much better Aaron Judge is going to be without a shift? I know you want to strategize it, but strategize it as a hitter where you could put the ball where you want to put the ball now and not worry about it. Strategizing for the hitting, you have so many hitters now that are developed to be able to pull the ball, and somebody like Joey Callow, who was a top prospect at the time for Texas, never really developed because he never had a complete thing outside of the power. He has more home runs in his career than singles. That says a lot when it comes to him not being able to put contact on the ball, and a lot of these hitters are being developed that same kind of thing. Now, as far as the Yankees youngsters, we've seen some of them be the opposite so far. Cabrera, Peraza, when they've been hitting, have been actually pretty good contact hitters so far. Now, they didn't show it hitting-wise in the playoffs as much, but Again, they're young. Yeah, they're rookies. Give them a chance. Definitely the That's role That's the future. Changes. If I were the Yankees, I don't go spend a lot of money this offseason. If you lose Aaron Judge, let Taon go. Let Savarino go. Keep your bullpen arms. Add a, maybe a bullpen arm. Add a pitcher. Not a top pitcher, but a decent pitcher. Maybe trade for a pitcher on yeah. a rental. Yeah. Sa- save some money. Go into the offseason next year with all the money that you possibly can have. Where you could go after a Soto or Otani or maybe even both of them. Yeah. Where you can really shut people off. Yankee fans can't complain anymore about no. Brian Cashman being cheap. And they'll still win. Because even with the team that they have now, maybe you don't bring Rizzo back. Because you have DJ LeMayo who you can move to first base. And then buy out Josh Donaldson. And you have Cabrera. You have Pereza. Then you bring up Volpe, Dominguez. You're bringing up your young, your nucleus up. Where you can build and see who belongs here, who doesn't belong here. You build around those young players. A.K.A. the New York Yankees in the 90s with Bernie Williams. Jorge Posada and Derek Jeter. And Andy Pettit and Mariano Rivera. They put a core around a bunch of veteran players. And I think that's what the Yankees need to do. Cabrera's a nice player. I think he's going to be good. Pereza is a great defensive player. I would put him at second. Volpe is a great defensive player too. And he can hit. You put him at short. Your whole infield is your farm system. You bring Trevino back. He's a good catcher. He works very good with the younger players and the younger pitchers. He'd be a leader on this team. Can't really get rid of Aaron Hicks right now because he can't stay healthy. But yeah, when he does, he doesn't have any trade value right now. He's only getting $10 million. He's still a pretty good outfielder. So if he plays well this coming year, you trade him. Then you have John Carlos Stanton as one of your leaders. Trevino. And then you have DJ LeMayu. Then the year after, you bring in a Soto, bring in a Otani, pitcher slash hitter. You'd really boost your team again. Could you imagine Soto, Otani, and Giancarlo Stanton? It's a pretty good lineup. Why wouldn't the Yankees do that? And they'll have a lot of money to spend that year. So they can get both of them. And you get Otani, who essentially moves into either 1A, 1B with Garrett Cole as a pitcher, too. Then you add your pitchers. You have Cortez there, because I think they'll bring him back. He'll be your third guy. They always have a shutdown bullpen. This year, they just got hurt all at the same time. Chad Green's out for the season. King, so the Yankees are positioned very, very well next year, and that's why Aaron Boone's coming back. I think that Hal says, let's throw him on the Wolves again, and if he fails this coming year, they fire him. I read what Derek Jeter said. It's, he believes that Aaron Boone is the guy. He said that Aaron Boone, if there's anybody that can get this team to play for him, it's Aaron. It's not the manager that plays for the players. It's the players that play for the players. It's not the manager's fault that the players aren't hitting. And that's what Derek said. The players play. If the players are playing, they're winning. It's not because of the manager. The manager makes 
mistakes, yes. He's got to control the bullpen. But that wasn't Aaron Boone. The pitching was not bad. Right. I outside mean, of the one that you were complaining about, the Clark Schmidt thing, I yes. think that was really the only blunder he yeah. had badly in the playoffs. I think he was very good. I still think he's one of the top five managers in baseball. And if the Yankees fire him, he'll trust be headed me, to the White Sox in a heartbeat. He'll be on everybody's list for a manager. Besides the Mets, because they still have Buck. But right. Dusty's getting old. I could see Aaron Boone going to the Astros. If they win, he could retire on top. Yeah, yeah that's possible. absolutely. There's a lot of opportunity. That's why I think Joe Girardi is going to come back because I think there's going to be a lot of openings this offseason. Well, his kind of style works, especially if you're seeing the Phillies doing what they're doing now. And you see the Yankees sparking the way they have the last five years since Girardi left, too. They've been consistent as a team. As Are a you whole, reading so. this whole thing about Aaron Judge and the players thinking that Yankee Stadium was a toxic environment throughout the playoffs? I think the Yankee fans are horrible. I think there's a lot of Yankee fans that take things to a whole nother level. But you are multi-million dollar players. We're paying your salaries to go to these baseball games, paying our TV deals to watch you play in the playoffs. Play the game. Don't complain about the fans. They could boo you to the end. We're fans. We pack the stadiums. We pay your salaries. Why are you complaining about it? Aaron Judge wants to cry about it? Then go cry in San Francisco. You're a professional baseball player. You want to make $50 million a year. Play the game. Play hard. His agent wants to get him 500 <laughs> Yeah, good luck on that. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Market value right now is eight years, 320 Even if, if there is a bidding war, it's if not going to get higher than 350 If he was 27 years old, he would get it. Aaron Judge would get the second $500 million contract in sports history. Mahomes got a $500 million right. contract. But his is bigger. All guaranteed. But stop being a baby. You didn't lose because of the fans. You lost because you couldn't hit. You couldn't hit against a team that has a superior pitching staff right now. Because you're not healthy and your bullpen stinks. Because they can't stay healthy. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some money line. Mania with Paolo and Chaz here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, Killing Star Show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It's been a great show, ladies and gentlemen. And why not bring betting, and we call this Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chaz, what's going on, bud? I know you've been feeling sick. I'm happy that you made it today. A wee bit under the weather. No wake and bake. I didn't even wake and bake myself this week because I'm sick. And when I'm sick, the last thing I want to put is smoke down my throat. Taking some antibiotics. I'm taking some pills, so I didn't want to eat the gummy. So I've literally gone this whole week straight. And let me tell you, the world isn't pretty straight. The world is... Our oyster. It is. And we had a good week last week. I took some money out of Costa Rica and I left it in my Bitcoin account and it grew because Bitcoin went on a little run. So I made money both on the sports betting and with the crypto. That's not a bad week. No, it's not. With sports, there's so much stuff going on. Baseball still going on. You have football. You have basketball. You have hockey. You have horse racing. Not the big horse races, but you could still go to big tracks and then bet on horses as well. Breeders' Cup is actually next weekend. I will not be here. Breeders' 
Cup is 11 races. Each race takes me between 30 minutes and 45 minutes to handicap. Two full days of just reading until I can't see anymore, taking off my glasses, rubbing my eyes, putting my glasses back on, and reading some more. How about your uh, boy from Greece? Paolo, what's up, man? Everything going good. Lots of betting this week. I got a real good soccer game this week. With the World Cup approaching, coming soon, everybody right now is gearing up for the World Cup. But I think this week should be pretty good. Last week, I missed a couple of plays at the end. But this week, this play is going to win and win big. All right, so why don't we get into some soccer conversation first and then football, maybe some baseball, because I have Philadelphia winning the series. No, you're not crazy at all. I actually have the Phillies to win. They will win the World Series with Bryce Harper as the main face of that team, and he will win the MVP. Whoever wins the first game has the advantage, because I think they have the mojo. Especially when you were up big. You're mm. up 5 to nothing with Verlander on the mound. He's 163-2. and two. There's something special about this Philadelphia team. Girardi gets fired. They bring in Thompson, his bench coach, another Yankee. He takes over. The team falls in love with this guy. They make a couple of trades at the trade deadline. Bryce Harper comes back at the end of the season. He gets hot. Schwarber is an all-star. Real Muto's starting to hit. Everybody's hitting the ball now, and they all believe it. And by the way, they have the second-best bullpen in the playoffs. One of the worst bullpens throughout the season. They have the second-best bullpen in the playoffs. The 1996 New York Yankees. That's who they remind me of. The Joe Torre thing. He takes over for the Yankees. Buck Showalter gets fired. The starting of the season, they did not play well. All of a sudden, in the second half of the season, they made a couple of trades. They start winning. They go to the playoffs. They come back in almost every single game. They were down 2-0 against the Braves in the World Series. Came back and won the whole damn thing. It's not going to happen like that in this World Series. But this Philadelphia team reminds me of the 1996 New York Yankees. Getting down to soccer. In the English Soccer League, this week, my play of the week, last week they disappointed us towards the end, but this week Arsenal's going to win big. And they're not only going to win big, they're going to score two or more goals. That's my top play this week. My other play, again from the English League, West Ham is playing in Manchester United. All the money on Manchester United. After this week, they won the Europa League. I think West Ham, at a very nice price, has a chance to score over 0.5 goals. Third game, Real Madrid in the Champions League, they lost at Lipswich. Going at home, playing against this very mediocre team, I see Real winning, and I see a lot of goals in this game, and I see Real scoring goals in this game. Another game which is pretty interesting in the Italian league. Another team that's surprised a little bit. Lazio's playing good this year, but defensively, they're not that strong. And I can see Salernitana scoring a goal. So Salernitana over 0.5 goals. Very nice odds. My top play of the week is the Arsenal game. Paulo gives you a soccer play. You got to remember, these games start early in the morning. It's not always easy to find these plays because you don't normally know the names of these teams. Everybody knows the big names, the Arsenals, the Real Madrid, but this guy had an incredible run four years ago in the World Cup. That was pre-pandemic, so I wasn't betting soccer like I'm betting soccer now, but he did the same thing with the ladies. And don't get me wrong, he's going to give you teams that are minus 350. Play to 350, take the $100 and, and be happy. He just doesn't lose very often in the World Cup. I don't know if you've noticed on the board, 
on the World Cup board. What kind of money Brazil is taking? Why is Brazil taking so much money? Brazil, last World Cup, consistently dropping. And another team, I'm very surprised, they're taking a lot of money is Argentina. The one that you said last week, Ana Uruguay game, is one of the top games of the World Cup. Before December 2nd, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Till December the 1st, I got the 11 perfect plays. Uruguay is not that great. And Ghana attacks. If Ghana scores... Uruguay can't keep up. Past World Cup, you know, I went 24-3. The Women's World Cup, 24-2. Another one, I went 29-0. Perfect. Defense and goaltending wins championships. Bottom line, you know the most overrated team is England. England, Germany, Portugal, they're going nowhere. By December the 7th, the 8th, I'll give you the winner who's going to win the World Cup. It ain't going to be France, like I told Chaz. Let's look at some NFL games. So let's start with what Wes said. Uh, this week is the last week of the CFL regular season. We're not going to play it, but hop on Toronto, 4-1 to to win it all. He says quarterback play is key this time of year. Down the stretch, they've got the best quarterback. In the NFL, he likes Arizona and the Rams. I know that Rams-San Francisco game is really a big game in terms of people believe whatever team they believe is going to win, they're really passionate about it. Because I talked to four different people. Two were on 49ers and two were on the Rams, and it was like both of them it was their best bet of the week. I have the Rams in a parlay to win the division. So this is a big game because they've already lost to the 49ers once. I'm taking the Rams. I don't want the points. I like the Rams, too. Christian McCaffrey, second game. He knows the offense now. I think Kyle Shanahan will use him more. He'll probably get 30 to 35 touches in this game. And the Rams have had problems stopping the run. I believe that McCaffrey will get his licks. He might even have a touchdown or two. But I think this will be a game that's going to transition Matthew Stafford's ear. Has not looked good. And this offense hasn't looked good. It's been Cooper Cup or nothing. Allen Robinson will wake up this week. And I believe Henderson is going to have a fun game. I think they're going to use him in different ways that they used Aker. Now, Akers is probably going to be gone at the trade deadline. This is Henderson's team now. He is going to run the offense. He is the number one guy. I expect them to have a big game and I expect this offense to show up. And by the way, this defense will put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo and Jimmy Garoppolo will make mistakes just like he did last week against Kansas City. I like the Rams in this game. I think it'll be close. All in all, I think the better quarterback is Matthew Stafford, even though he isn't 100% healthy, and you can see that this year. The Rams at home are, are playing much better. I'm sticking with San Francisco, and the reason I like them is because of their defense. I think they're going to put pressure on Stanford. They're the better team. The Rams haven't shown nothing. The advantage goes to the L.A. Rams. They're playing at home. I think the crowd will be on their side in this game, and the Rams have not been a good away team this year. I think this is the time where they can transition at home and be the team that everybody thought they were going to be this year. A lot of people thought they were a Super Bowl contender to win it back-to-back years. They just haven't showed up this year. There is no Von Miller. They added Wagner. Wagner really hasn't played as well as everybody thought he was going to. And it's crazy. Seattle gets rid of Russell Wilson. They lose Bobby Wagner. Two pro ball players, Hall of Famers, and both those guys have not had good seasons. It seems like Seattle knows more than we do. Geno Smith is the star quarterback over there. And Russell Wilson can barely throw a football now. Russell Wilson is the biggest disappointment this year. This week, playing Jacksonville, I wouldn't touch that game. I have the Broncos in this game. I think the Broncos will come out. I think Russell Wilson will have a good game. After all the crap that you're hearing, everybody is taking shots at Russell Wilson. If you don't think Russell Wilson is listening, well, I think he's going to show up on the field. I think he's going to be able to move his feet. He's going to make plays with his legs this week. Try to stay away from throwing the ball as much as he can. Sutton can catch the ball, but Jerry Judy's had problems catching the ball this year.
year. They can't do anything the last couple of weeks in running the ball. Why is Melvin Gordon opening his mouth, saying that he should be the number one? And by the way, Hackett can't really hack it anymore because if he loses no. this game against the Jaguars this week, I mm-hmm. believe the Broncos will fire Hackett. I don't care what the GM says, how much he says he's keeping the team together. What is there to keep together? This team stinks. <laughs> they no. traded away all their futures for Russell Wilson. So why not trade their star pass rusher and Chubb, try to get picks for him, try to rebuild. Russell Wilson, you paid him 200 and what, 40 some million dollars? This man has made money. This guy's had how many contracts? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's time Russell Wilson's going to show up. You know which games I'm looking at? I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns plus three and a half. And don't be surprised if they win. I like the Saints plus one and a half. You like the Jets. I'm taking New England minus two and a half. Bears, I agree with you. I'm with you on that Chicago upset, though. With, with the Dallas not having Zeke, I don't think he'll be able to expose a bad run defense with Tony Pollard, who's more of a gadget no, pass-catching guy. I think Dallas is winning that oh, yeah. game. I think it was a fluke what they did against New England, even though I don't think New England's any good. And I believe the Jets are going to teach Bill Belichick a little bit of a lesson. This guy has been showing the Jets up year after year. It's the Jets' turn to show off what they have, what the future really holds for the New England Patriots in that division. Belichick loses a game after Brady gets divorced? I don't know if that could happen. (laughs) (laughs) One interesting game we haven't talked about this week, the Arizona Cardinals plus three and a half. I have Minnesota in this game. The one thing that concerns me with the Cardinals, Paolo, is their red zone offense has really not shown me much. They've had to settle for field goals a lot and still know James Conner. I think, though, it'll be a close one possession game. I think they'll put up yards. I don't think they cover three and a half, though. Another game I'm looking at, Atlanta, Carolina. Atlanta should win this game. Yeah, I have have Atlanta. But that Green Bay, Buffalo game, I think the Bills going to win this game by 21 points. First yeah, time Aaron yeah, Rodgers is a double-digit underdog in his career. Minus 10.5 points, spread. You can see the same thing that happened to Tennessee. I can see the same thing happening to Green Bay. How can Green Bay stop this Buffalo attack? Aaron Rodgers is not the same quarterback. Him and Tom Brady are just not the same quarterbacks. Anytime I hear both him and Wes on Arizona, I'm going to lean against Minnesota. We were talking about a couple things this year. It's amazing how many teams are doing that home and away thing, right? They're just horrible on the road or they're horrible at home. These are NFL teams. You would think that they would have some consistency. But look at the Eagles. The Eagles are dominating the first half and they stink in the second half. Championships are won in the second half. If you've got a future bet on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl, I wouldn't spend that money quite yet if I were you. I think Philadelphia is going to win this week. What Philadelphia is doing this year is really remarkable. And by the way, they have the Saints first round draft pick this year. Now the Saints, if they don't make the playoffs right now, they're in a top 10. Could you imagine Philadelphia get a top 10 pick after being the best team in the NFL? Could you imagine them win the Super Bowl this year? They have a top 10 pick. And by the way, they have their own pick too. So they have two first round draft picks. They can rebuild this team even more deeper. And this team is going to be even more unstoppable for many, many years to come. I could see the Jets in Philadelphia in the next two years meeting in the Super Bowl. Really, really young teams rebuilt in the draft. Two GMs that know each other very, very well because they work with each other. Herbig was a Philadelphia Eagle. They let him go, and what happened? J.D. picked him up, and right now he's one of the better guards right now in the AFC. 
What does that tell you about J.D.? Yeah. He knows his team. He knows the players that he drafted over there in Philadelphia. And, and both guys very well respected around the league. J.D., Harry Roseman. Look what these two teams are doing right now. This week, Philadelphia is rolling again. This team is impressive. This, this is a huge game for oh, the yeah. Jets. They got beat last year like 80-20 to 20 in the two games. If you get a chance to take out somebody who's made you their bitch, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't do it, they could go from 5-2 to two to 5-5 five and five in three weeks. But if they get to 6-2, and two, they're going to have some swagger. I think it's so very important that the Jets go out and, and run the ball, make the Patriots open up the field. And I think Elijah Moore is going to play a big part in this game after his complaining, posting up his garbage, his psalms with the Bible. Now he's got his own handshake with Berrios. This guy is just an absolute big baby. So he'll see the ball this week. I expect Zach Wilson to air the ball out last year. In one game, he threw four interceptions in the first half. This won't happen this year. I do not see Mike LaFleur doing that. I expect more throws by Zach Wilson in this game, but I expect a complete bashing. I believe Robinson is going to be used a lot in the open field. He is going to bash. Carter's going to run on the outside. This team's going to be able to run against the Patriots. You saw what the Bears did last week. They could run the ball against the Patriots. And that was in New England. This is a different ball game. I think the Jets are going to be able to run. I think the Jets are going to be able to put pressure. As long as they can protect Zach Wilson, which I believe they will, because George Font will be back this week. I believe the Jets will win, and not just win, swag them throughout the game, 24-10. to 10. I'm looking forward to watching this game. Over here in New York, I think the Jet fans want to see this happen. They don't give a crap about the Buffalo game because it's a hit or miss with the Buffalo and the Jets. The Jets could surprise the world and beat Buffalo and get first place in the division. Nobody's even thinking about that because nobody hates Buffalo like they hate New England. They want to bash New England this week. They want to put Bill Belichick in a box and mail him back to his son. I'm 5-1 and one picking the Jets this year. You talked about the teams that are playing good at home and playing bad on the road, and Detroit's a fine example of that, right? They are just two totally different teams. I really like the over in that game, but my best bet, it's the over in the Vegas Saints game. Over a Lions game. I'm with yeah. Chaz the whole way. I have Miami in an over blowout. I have, I have Miami. I don't know if it's a blowout, but I have Miami winning the game. After what happened last week with the Lions, I'm not touching that game. I'm not putting nothing on that game. I'm never taking the Lions again. They're and dead uh, to him. Like last week, exactly. The you Lions said, are you're dead to him. On it. I'm very excited with this weekend because if the Jets can pull this off against New England, which I believe they will, their record is 6-2, and two, and they play a showdown game against Buffalo before their bye week where they can go into MetLife wow. Stadium, beat Buffalo, and take sole custody over the Super Bowl, everybody thinks, winners this year. If they could beat Buffalo and New England the next two weeks, oh boy, oh boy, people are going to be talking about them in the bye week. That would be an understatement. They'll be talking about the Jets, man. I don't think it's happening. The Islanders are getting it together. I said this to the Ranger fans when I was at the Islander and Ranger game the other day. When this kid, Sorokin, figures things out and gets comfortable again like he did last year, Watch out for the Islanders. I love the Islanders. I love you. I love the Islanders. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Sorokin, this kid's for real. I, this kid plays, and they keep this guy healthy. They're going to win. Everybody keeps talking about Carolina and the Rangers. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm no, telling Carolina. you. Remember last year, Paulo, before the season started, who did ha- everybody had winning the Stanley Cup? They had the Islanders winning the Stanley Cup all over the place. This same team, besides Zidane Chara, this same team came back, and everybody has them not even making the playoffs this year, which is ridiculous. 
absolutely well, who ridiculous. Do you, who do you like this year to win the Stanley Cup? It's so hard with the Eastern Conference. It really is because you just don't know. I think the Capitals are going to fall apart this year. I think they're getting old. I think Pittsburgh's not going to stay agree. in the top of the division. Their goaltending is not good enough. Carolina, everybody keeps talking about, but guess what? Carolina in the big game, their goaltending doesn't show up. I don't no. think they're going to win. Here's the team that I think is very, very scary, and people are going to laugh at me, and I picked them to make the playoffs this year, the Philadelphia Flyers. And there's a reason why. There's a coach over there that believes defense, defense, defense. And by the way, who's been one of the best goalies in the NHL since the season began? A guy named Hart, who was one of the worst goaltenders in the league last year. It's not a Kowinski dink that this guy has taken over as the coach and his his goaltender is one of the best goalies in the NHL. You know who I picked? Who I like in the East? Who? You're going to be in the shock. Who? Who do I think is going to win the East? The Toronto Maple Leafs. (laughs) Wow. Not a chance, uh, uh, Paulo, not Whoa. a chance in hell. And I'm going to tell you why quickly. That 15 de- to 1. That's why you pick it. It's 50 to 1. <laughs> 15 to 1. I'm surprised it's yeah. that generous. Yeah. I always like the value. 15 to 1. There yeah. is no yeah. way they're winning the Stanley Cup. They can't stay healthy. One. Two, they have no defense whatsoever. And by the way, when was the last time they got out of the first round? 2002. <laughs> No, if you look at the East, coming out of the East, there is no powerhouse team. Nope. There's and, no powerhouse. And, and and here's the thing. What wins Stanley Cups? Defense and goaltending. There are only four teams right now in the Eastern Conference that really stands out to be those dominant forces. You ready to hear them? The Islanders are one of them. Philadelphia is another. Could you name the other two? Boston. Boston's another. Boston's been impressive. Tampa Bay's. Their defense is horrible, and they're old. And they lost one of their top defensemen. McDonough is gone now, so their defense is definitely stagnant. So there's one other team. Here's a surprise team, the Ottawa Senators. I think Ottawa has good goaltending, and they have a young defensive core that's actually really good. Even though they have eight points, and they're in a division right now that Boston's just rocking everybody, beating the hell out of everybody. Boston's impressed everybody. Hockey is so unprecedented. Predictable right now. Who's the number one seed in the metropo- metropolitan division? Philadelphia. <laughs> Everybody in their mother thought the Carolina and the Rangers were going to be one and two. And I know it's still early, and it could definitely happen. The Rangers, after watching the Rangers at UBS Arena, I'm going to tell you this right now. The Rangers are going to have a tremendous amount of problems defensively throughout this season. Yeah. They are not a good team defensive. Uh, team, no. and they depend on Shesterkin to do everything when it comes down to goaltending. And when that happens, and you see that when they start playing the better teams in the playoffs, they're going to fall apart. They're going to fall apart. And I first just... of all, first of all, you're you're so knowledgeable when it comes to hockey that these two teams that you said, I would not put a dollar on Carolina. Carolina mm-hmm. is the most overrated team. They cannot win a big game. Who are they going to win a big game with? Freddie Anderson in goal. And the Rangers. What do the Rangers have? Freddie Anderson's never the, Freddie not, Anderson's never even healthy in the playoffs. He didn't play one game exactly. last year. He and by the exactly. way, right, I'll tell you why they can't win in the playoffs. Because Rob Brindamore's nose is bent. <laughs> and who do the Rangers have besides Panarin? Lafreniere, they got nothing. The Rangers got nothing. By the way, the Rangers outplayed the Islanders the other day. They completely dominated the game in the offensive zone in so many ways. And they had yeah. 41 shots. on the. On, but here's the thing. Yes, they had Halak in the net. Even if Shesterkin was in the net, they would have lost that game. Because yeah. they couldn't score on Sorokin. 
They couldn't score on him. They had, uh, when I was at the game, first and second period, they had probably the best chances. I, I really thought in both the chances they had chance to score goals, they were going to put it the puck in the net. How Sorokin got to the puck the way he did was absolutely miraculous. And I don't care what any Ranger fans say in saying that, oh, if Sturkin played, they would have won the game. They wouldn't have. Okay? And the Rangers, in the two games they've played against Sorokin, in the two years that they've played against Sorokin, Flamov, yeah. they've kicked the crap out of. Okay? But when they've played, they've scored one goal in two games against Sorokin. One goal. So there you go. By the end of this year, Paulo, people are going to be calling Sorokin a top three goalie in the NHL. Better than Shesterkin. Okay? Every time they played in there the he, K- he beat Shesterkin in the KHL championship twice. I know. All right, gentlemen. I know. That's Boston. all I got. All yeah, right, thanks done. for joining us again tonight. Feel better. Yeah. Always be cashing, guys. I love your show. Thank you. You're so very knowledgeable. Good, good luck with your Jets. Thank we'll you. Talk, huh? We'll talk, man. Have a nice evening, yeah? You, you too. too my okay, friend. bye. Chaz and Paolo, ladies and gentlemen, they were fantastic as always. Moneyline Mania, we have the best handicappers in the country. If you guys want winners, 84.5% of the time since they started with us about nine and a half months ago, they have been absolutely dead on with their picks. Check this out segment out every single week money line mania when we come back we're gonna have some basketball conversation as the new york knicks are the hot team here in new york they're the hot ticket and the brooklyn nets their fans don't buy tickets steve nash can't stay before he gets thrown out of the game and ben simmons gets fouled out every single game as kyrie irvin and kevin durant needs to find a way to win when we come back we'll get into some nba basketball and we'll get into crunch time here on the weekend crunch We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into crunch time, I have a few things to say about this early basketball season to my New York Knicks. Yes, I'm loving the game right now they're playing. Bronson's the real deal. You think that he played well in Dallas. Could you imagine what he's going to do here in New York? He wants to be here. This is his hometown. He grew up around the Knicks. His father played for the Knicks. His father works for the Knicks. Jalen Brunson is happy to be home. This team is going to be completely different than they were last year. And Julius Randle will be better. And if he starts to play at the top of his game, i trade him. I would trade him at the trade deadline. Get as much as you can get back for him. You have R.J. Barrett with a great contract. Brunson's contract is a great contract. Robinson, great contract. They're all tradable contracts. Robinson leads the league in blocks right now. If you're a Knicks fan... You should be very excited about the young team that they are. You're finally getting a point guard that actually is they able play. to space the floor. Competent. Jalen Brunson not only has been passing and spacing the floor efficiently, he's been making very complex passes. A lot of the ones you see top point guards make, driving the hoop very well. He's not a big guy, but he's driving with finesse, spacing the floor like we never saw the Knicks do before. And the Knicks' overall field goal percentage and three-point percentage as a result is both top ten as a team. I'm so excited because I remember all these basketball ex- Experts we've had on our show and mm-hmm. said that Jalen Brunson is not as good as the contract he got. Jalen Brunson, by the end of this year, will be a top seven point guard in the whole NBA. And for the amount of money the Knicks paid him for being a top seven point guard, they robbed him. I'm very excited about this Knicks team. R.J. Barrett's starting to play hard. and he, I know it's early still. It's only four games in. But R.J. Barrett's playing. Julius Randle's playing. Brunson's playing. 
Fournier's playing. They're all playing very well. And even Obi Toppin yeah. quickly is playing well. We haven't seen enough of Grimes yet. A guy that they didn't trade him for you-know-who. I expect him to be on that court and become one of the starters for the Knicks. You didn't go after Donovan Mitchell because you thought that this kid is going to be a finisher for the future of this organization. I want to see him on the field. I want to see him on the court at least 25 minutes a game. I want to see the best in Grimes. Could you imagine Donovan Mitchell on this team right yeah. now? This team would be scary right now. A team that already has four double-digit scores, including Fournier, who's having a great start to his year. Obi Toppin, per 24 minutes, is having that kind of year, too. He's been very valuable in his bench minutes so far, and it's good to see Tom Thibodeau actually giving him more minutes, too, even though he's not officially starting. He's in the 23-25 minute range now. It's pretty fun to watch. Now, the Brooklyn Nets. The clowns of New York. I don't know what's going on with that team. Steve Nash gets thrown out of his first game as an NBA head coach. He looks horrible. I think he'll be gone very soon. Ben Simmons, he can't stay in a game because he fouls out in every single one of them. How many air balls has he had this year? <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. For a coach to say that he doesn't need to hit a jump shot when he can't even hit a jump shot. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Evan, I don't care how good they're playing. They're not team players. They're me players. Both of those guys are going to be asking for a trade before the season's end. Kyrie will be gone, and so will Durant. And they'll go wherever they go, and they'll ruin those teams too. It's a joke. The only player that they're going to be stuck with is Ben Simmons, because nobody's going to want that guy. No, especially since he's scoring only 5.6 points a game this year, airballing everything, shooting at the free throw line 40% this year. Yikes. And he's being outscored on his own team by Nick Claxton, David Duke Jr., and Patty Mills, who's an old man, and Royce O'Neal, who they traded for a first-round pick for whatever reason. Even he's outscoring Ben Simmons. That shows you everything. And when you have that little of depth, yeah, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are to look like me players and then drive themselves out of Brooklyn because that's what they love to do. They're a clown organization. Marks will be fired at the end of this season. Nash will be fired. Kevin Durant will be gone. Kyrie will be gone. And they'll be back to the old Nets, rebuilding and no draft stock <laughs> for another five to six years. That wonder, organization a waste. I wonder if there will ever be a team to win single-digit games. Would be Honestly, I would like to get Kevin Durant on the Knicks, but I don't want him. I think he's a cancer. No, I don't want him at this point. I don't want a guy that's going to hurt the locker room. We already have one guy on the team that's a cancer. We don't need two. At least they can control that cancer as long as he gets the ball enough. It's a joke. The Nets are a joke. They're the worst organization right now here in New York. Yeah. Probably the second worst is the Knicks, and there seems to be a significant gap now between those two because the Knicks have actually figured out what they're doing very nicely. Thibodeau has them playing defense and they're spacing very well because they finally have a competent point guard. They haven't had a competent point guard since Charlie Ward. And Charlie Ward is not anywhere close to Jalen Brunson, talent-wise. Jalen Brunson could be an elite point guard. I really do believe he will be because he's got the ability to become that guy that can take over a game and I think he's fantastic. Brunson will average this year, I'm going to predict, between 21 and 22 points a game. He assists a game, three rebounds a game, and about two steals a game. Yep, he's already at 20 and 8.5 assists and uh, 4.5 for the rebounds right now. That's where I think he is. I think he's going to be an elite point guard in this league. If he is, the Knicks are a playoff team. If they're anywhere close to the playoffs, expect a trade sometime at the trade deadline, which could add a piece that could take the Knicks even further. And it won't be Kevin Durant. (laughs) No, thank God. And it won't be Kyrie Irving either. No, that's even worse. It'll be interesting to see what the Knicks do and Rose does. And if this team is playoff bound, I think this team is going to compete this year. as long as Brunson stays healthy, and that's crazy to say how one player can change an organization and a team the way he plays. By the way, Derek Rose is playing well, too. The whole team's playing well. It's fun. They haven't beaten any 
top teams yet, but if they can compete with the top teams, even stay in those games and win some of them, I think the Knicks can win about 47 games this yeah. year. If they do that, they make the playoffs six or five seed. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start crunch time with the NFL trade deadline. Buy or sell. Either DJ Moore or Jerry Judy will be a giant. I'm going to buy it. I think it's Jerry Judy. I think DJ Moore is going to cost too much. I don't think the Giants are going to give up a first. DJ Moore could be an elite wide receiver in this league. Jerry Judy has really fallen off on anybody's radar, but I think it could be a good wide receiver on a good team. So I think one of them will go. I think it's Jerry Judy, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it for the reason you just said about DJ Moore. I think the Panthers will be asking for too much at this point. You saw them get a lot back for Christian McCaffrey, four picks for a running back contract that was tough to move. And I don't think the Broncos are going to be trading Jerry Judy. I think what's going to happen if they keep struggling is they'll just fire Nathaniel Hackett and they'll try to get a new coach and try to make it work. If it's still an issue, next year is when I think they'll start trading players. They don't have to trade Judy yet. Next year is his last year of his contract. So I am going to sell it. Somebody other than Kyle Schwarber or Bryce Harper will lead the Phillies in home runs during the World Series. I buy it. JT Real Muto. I think he hits a couple of home runs. I'll predict three and that's enough to win the World Series, I buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too with the exact same player, JT Real Muto, the hottest hitter for the Phillies in the second half. Why not have it continue on? He was very good against the Padres as well, so I am going to buy that. All right, buy or sell. Both DeAndre Hopkins and Justin Jefferson will have 100 yards and a touchdown in their matchup this week. I buy it. I think both guys are fantastic players. I do like Minnesota's secondary more than I like the Arizona Cardinals secondary, but I think both players are prolific offensive players, so I buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think DeAndre Hopkins definitely is going to be able to space well against either an old Patrick Peterson or Cam Dantzler who's not a very fast corner. And Justin Jefferson, I think the Cardinals will be able to take him away in the beginning, but I think they'll find a way to do it later. Kevin O'Connell will make some adjustments for that, so I am going to buy it. Edwin Diaz will become the highest paid closer, surpassing $16 million per year. Not a question. He will be the highest paid closer. He was the best closer in baseball this year. The Mets are paying him, because if they don't, somebody will, so I'm buying it. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to buy it. I think the Mets will end up paying him, too. I think DeGrom will be the one more likely to walk in that scenario, and they'll try to they'll make pay him. him too. Yeah, you think they'll pay both? I know you're saying all year that you thought he was going to the Braves. Everything that I've read, they're bringing back Jacob DeGrom. They're bringing back Diaz. They're bringing back Nimmo. They're mm. going to sign their own players, and they're going to bring other pieces in. They're going over the cap. We've heard Epler say that before the offseason, that they're willing to go over the cap, and I believe Steve Cohen will. He wants to win. Both Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen will have 250-plus passing yards in their matchup. Absolutely. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to if they have any chance of being in this game. I buy it. I think both players will have over 250 yards. I am going to sell it for the reason of I don't think they're going to be very much in this game. The, the Bills secondary is getting healthier, even though they did lose Hyde for the year. Their young corners are starting to come back healthy. Tredavious White, still a game-time decision at the moment, but I think he'll end up playing, and garbage time might help Rodgers' numbers, but I don't trust the receivers enough to do it. Plus, I think Lazard's out, too, so I am going to sell it. Buy or sell? Somebody other than Justin Verlander will lead the Astros starters in ERA and strikeouts. I buy it. I don't believe it's going to be Verlander. I think it could be any one of the other pitchers. I just think Justin Verlander, even against the Yankees, he pitched very well against the Yankees because the umpires gave him the strike zone. I don't think it's going to be that close in this series. I think the umpires will be very fair in this series. So I'm going to buy that there'll be another pitcher that has a better strikeout total in this series. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I'm actually going to take Valdez in this one, a lefty matchup against a, a Phillies team that has Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber both as lefties too. Bryson Stott, I think they'll take a 
advantage of that. I think Valdez will be the one guy that makes a difference. So I am going to buy that as well. All right, last one. One of Jack Conklin or Laramie Tunsil will be traded to the Jets. I'm going to sell it. I think Conklin has a better chance of being a Jet than Tunsil. I don't know what the Jets are willing to trade. They're going to have to give up at least a second. And I don't know if the Jets are willing to do that. I don't know if Douglas is willing to give up any of his top four picks in this year's draft, being that there's so much depth in this year's draft. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. Tunsil's contract, I think it'll be definitely too much. I know he's played very well this year, but a guy that's been injury prone in his career, I really think that's the opposite of that scheme too. Conklin's a little more of a scheme fit, kind of like the Broncos. I don't think the Browns are necessarily just going to panic just because they're 2-5 and five right now in a year where they don't have Deshaun Watson because he's suspended and trying to trade assets. I think Andrew Barry's too smart of a GM. If they're going to trade Conklin, they're going to try to fleece the team. And the Jets, you know Joe Douglas, they're not going to let anybody fleece him as good as Barry of a GM as he is. So I agree with you. I will sell it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is crunch time. I'd like to thank New York Post features reporter Alex Mitchell for joining us. Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and our buddy Paolo from Greece. They were fantastic. I hope every fan enjoys their Halloween. Happy Halloween to everybody. Be careful. Take care of your kids. Make sure that they're trick-or-treating and you're watching them so nothing happens to them. We really hope that everybody enjoys their holiday. Happy Halloween, everybody. Stay safe. Next week, we'll have new guests, new show, new content for all of you as we are the voices of New York sports. And I hope everybody have a very good holiday week. We'll be back next week. Good night.